I ask you to turn to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews. I want to mention before I read our children's questions that this series is backed up by a year of work on the part of our front load Bible study group, and they've given me a lot of input over the last year, which I appreciate a great deal. They'll be happy to know that their names are right next to great names like John Owen and John Brown and Hendrickson and some great commentators. But uh, trust me, I did some work too. I did a lot of work, but I appreciate the help of those who are part of the sermon front load. You may know, you may have not known that Colossians, the last series that we did in the evening, was also a result of that. So I'm very thankful for that. I won't mention all the names that were involved. Tonight we're going to be looking at just the first three verses of Hebrews. And here are the children's questions for this evening. First, what was one big way God spoke in the Old Testament? Two, the writer mentions God's son, but not his son's name. Do you know his name? Three, is the son also God? And four, God speaks to us in his word. Whenever his word is read and when it is preached, what should you do? Hebrews chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, this is the word of God. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And we'll end there for this evening. Let's pray together. There ends the reading of God's word. Father in heaven, we do thank you for your glorious word. And again, we thank you that you have spoken. And you have been speaking for a long time. We thank you that you've spoke so clearly by sending your only son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, this is your word your sacred, holy word. And we've just read such powerful truths. And now as we turn from reading that which is from you to that which is a combination of your holy word and the work of your servant and the work of many others, we pray that you would bless the preaching of your word, that the truths that we need to receive from you tonight would go forth that you would give us ears to hear, hearts to receive, wills to act appropriately to what we'll hear tonight. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, the unnamed author of Hebrews does not allow us to just wade into his book. He has us dive in almost immediately or jump right into some very profound content. Uh, These three verses set us up for what lies ahead in this letter or this book, this document. We're not exactly sure 
what it is. It doesn't start like a normal letter or end like some of the letters in Scripture. But whatever the case is, we will discover that this is theologically dense. Theologically dense, doctrinally rich, and practically very pointed. It's a letter that's filled with encouragement, and it's filled with inspiration, it's filled with assurance, it's filled with words of perseverance, but it's also filled with very, very sharp and very serious warnings uh, to those, especially covenant people, who would toy with the faith and not take it seriously enough to the point of their own condemnation. This is a heavy-duty document. The author relies heavily on the Old Testament, which makes perfect sense because, as is consensus, this was written to Hebrew Christians, Jewish Christians, who obviously were part of the very early church, who were facing all kinds of challenges. They were facing persecutions. They were facing doubts and confusion and fears. They were about to experience great devastation, a catastrophe that's going to come very soon. They have a lot of questions about this new faith that they've embraced. It's also helpful to the Gentile believers who would have for them unlocked these ancient truths of the Old Covenant or the Old Testament. But these are things that are also relevant for the church today. And so I trust that as we work through Hebrews together, you will be edified, you will grow, I will grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. The writer opens up with the words, long ago, long ago at many times. But the thing that should really grasp our attention immediately is that God spoke. God speaks. God speaks. God is there, and he is not silent. To steal from a title of one of Francis Schaeffer's book, God God is there, and he is not silent. The author just assumes what everybody really believes deep down in their hearts, whether they admit it or not, really know deep down in their hearts that there is a God. But mankind in his fallen nature continually suppresses that. But the writer of Hebrews understands and believes and understands that his readers know that there is a God. But he drives his point home Further, by asserting that this God communicates to humanity. God communicates to humanity. God speaks. How awful would it be if God, who is there, gave his creation the silent treatment? How tragic would that be if God didn't speak? So it's fair to ask the question, If God speaks, since God speaks, God has spoken, are you listening? That's the question to mankind. God speaks to humanity, but is mankind listening? God spoke, the author says. How far back he's he's interested in, I'm not exactly sure, but God spoke in the very beginning. God spoke all things into existence speaking everything into existence out of nothing. God immediately spoke to his creation. His creation itself speaks. We read Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. There's nowhere where the voice of God's creativity in creation doesn't speak, speaks everywhere to the glory of God. 
God speaks to his crown of creation. He speaks to Adam and Eve in the garden, giving them a mandate, giving them commandments. Then when the tragic fall comes, he speaks to them outside of the garden. And he gives them a promise in speaking to them that a seed will come to destroy the evil one. God speaks to his people. So it goes as far back as we can possibly know. But the point here is that God specifically communicates in a way that reaches the ears and stimulates the mind of its hearers. And so again, God speaks directly in some ways, again, to Adam and Eve, spoke directly to Abraham, spoke directly to Moses, spoke directly to many others. But the point that the author is making here is that God spoke, God spoke in a way that reaches the ears of everyone who's in the hearing of the word, and he does it through prophecy. He says that God spoke through the prophets. And while God spoke directly to many, and while he did speak directly to many of the prophets, the prophets, in a sense, are speaking directly on behalf of God. They're instruments of God to do and to say what God told them to say. That's why a prophet, a true prophet, can say, thus saith the Lord. And so the prophets from Abel, as Jesus says to Zechariah, were all proclaiming the word of God. Of keen interest in Hebrews is the prophet Moses. Next to Jesus, the supreme prophet above all prophets, Moses. Moses was given the word of God. Moses, the supreme prophet, spoke face to face with God, not like the other prophets. And so we'll see how how important it is to understand the person of Moses and all the things that were revealed to him that he passed on to the people. God spoke prophetically. To the people. What was his message? His message is manifold. It has many different angles to it. There's great detail in the Word of God, great truths that we need to understand. All Scripture is God breathed. But there are some very key things we have to understand about what God reveals to mankind through his prophets and through his Word. He reveals what we need to know about him that he's the creator of all things. We learn from Scripture about his attributes, his righteousness, his holiness, his wisdom, his power, and all those things we learn from Scripture. He's the infinite God, which makes it all the more amazing that he communicates, that he condescends to communicate to us, we might say, speaking to us in our language. He tells us about man. He is our creator. We are his creation. One of the problems with fallen mankind is that we tend to forget that distinction and set ourselves up as God. But God constantly reminds us that we are his creatures and we were created for his glory and we were mandated to subdue the earth and to fill the earth. We were commanded to do many things, but we messed up big time. We messed up big time. But God in his mercy then communicates to us promises of mercy. For those who believe, he tells us in his word that we can be right with him. We can be right with him. 
God spoke from the very beginning, speaking throughout the ages and in many different ways throughout the ages with all kinds of indicators, sometimes with plain words, sometimes with types, sometimes with signs, with this whole sacrificial system to tell us that we can be right with Him. That sinners can be reconciled to God. All of this, all of that truth, all of those truths spoken by the prophets and by Moses himself and all those things that Moses was given down to the detail of the sacrificial system in blood tell us that we can be reconciled to God. Tell us that there is forgiveness of sins. And it's all summed up in the fulfillment that comes when Jesus comes. And he's not named in these three verses, but it's very obvious who the writer of Hebrews is talking about. He's talking about the person of Jesus. God communicating specifically through his son that there's salvation and redemption through him. And this person, Jesus, encapsules, encapsules who he is as God. It's mind-boggling. But before the incarnation, the glory of God in the second person of the Trinity, in the incarnation, the glory of God veiled in humility, but the glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ in the flesh, and then ascended to the right hand of glory in human flesh, fully God and fully man, filled with the glory, emanating the glory of God, this Jesus Christ. This morning, Pastor Ted referred to some statistics that I think it was Ligonier Ministries came up with about the evangelical church. And I don't want to debate who's nicer, me or Pastor Ted, but I'm not going to be as nice as he was this morning. If someone claims to be an evangelical and they don't believe in the deity of Jesus Christ, then either we need to redefine evangelical to mean something else, or we need to understand that if you don't believe in the deity of Jesus Christ, you are not a believer. And those who teach that Jesus Christ is not fully God and fully man, those who teach that Jesus Christ is not full deity, they are called heretics. They are called heretics heretics. And it's clear throughout Scripture, especially in the New Testament, that Jesus is the second person of the Trinity, took on human flesh. And if they miss it elsewhere, you can't miss it in these three verses. Listen to what the writer says about Jesus. He's the glorious Son. He's the glorious Son. He has the attributes of the fullness of God. He has actions that can only be attributed to God. One with the Father, one with the Spirit. Heir of all things. That means all things. That means all of his redeemed and all of creation when it's made new in the new heavens and earth. He's the radiance of the glory of God. That's not a reflected radiance. That is, that radiance is in himself, the glory of God himself that the Father has, the Son has also. 
Turn with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. So there's everything right there in the person of Jesus. We've seen the glory of God. Further, we had one thing under Moses, but we have the fullness of grace in Jesus Christ. So a lot of Hebrews is right there. The point here is that in the person of Christ is the glory of God. The writer of Hebrews takes it further. Takes it even further. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. That's a powerful statement. And almost everyone you will read say this refers to the idea of a a coin stamp. And so you have the stamp part and then you stamp the coin and it's got the image of, in our case, our president or someone like that. And it's, it's that representation. These things are always hard to illustrate. They always kind of fall short. I couldn't help but think of one particular grandson of mine. It's a little bit creepy, uh, but he looks almost exactly like my son-in-law. And even his expressions, when I hold this little three-month-old baby and I look in his face, I see his dad, my son-in-law, and I say it's creepy because, you know, I want to kiss the little guy with butterfly kisses and whatnot, and it's like, he looks too much like his dad, but whatever the case is, it's amazing to me. When I look at this little baby, I see his dad in a really profound way. Boggles my mind. But again, all illustrations fall short. But Jesus himself says, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He is the creator. He's the creator. He cre- through whom he also created the world. Creating everything in time and in space and everything in it. He's the sustainer. He sustains the ever-expanding sus- ever universe. He's the redeemer. And when we measure who he is as eternal God, and then we think about who he is, one and the same person as redeemer, that should undo all of us. Because scripture makes it so clear that in order for a sinner to be redeemed, there has to be the shedding of blood. It's it's an action beyond our grasp. It's an action that could not be achieved by mortal man, but only by the unique person of the Christ, second person of the Trinity in human flesh. And it required his blood. Throughout the Old Testament, from the very beginning, 
Blood was required for the forgiveness of sins. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And without the shedding, blood, shedding of the blood of Christ, there's no sufficient, complete forgiveness of sins. Our great Redeemer, glorious, eternal Son of God, inseparably bound with human flesh, gave himself for us on the cross. You want to enter into some intense Old Testament statements about that, read Psalm 22, read Isaiah 53, read so many other places that speak of this one Redeemer who comes and gives himself as a sacrifice for the sake of sinners. His blood alone purged us after making purification for sins, purging up us, us of our sins, cleansing us of our sins. There's no other way. One of the things that the Hebrews needed to understand was that they didn't need to continue to do all these sacrifices anymore. Don't go back to those sacrifices. That's as if you were crucifying Christ all over again. No, it is finished. The blood has been shed. You've been saved from your sins. Now live fully for him. Don't go back into that old system that had in it built-in obsolescence, we might say. No, you've been, you've been purified by his blood. We sing, it's a fairly repetitive song, but what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And so he makes that ultimate, satisfactory sacrifice that answers the most fundamental problem mankind has, and that is to be forgiven of their sins and to be reconciled to a holy God. And that's the only way. But it doesn't end there. Remember how the Hebrews under persecution and any Christians in that day and many Christians today, but all Christians need to have confidence, to have assurance, to be inspired towards perseverance. It doesn't end there. What did he do after making purification for sins? It's truncated here because we know that he was buried. We know that he rose up after three days. We know that he ascended where? To the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus reigns. Jesus rules. They needed to see that. Christians needed to see that through the ages. We need to see and understand that, that Jesus reigns and rules, and he's defending and protecting his people as our eternal king. Sitting down by no stretch means that he's not active. He's constantly working. He's interceding for us. He's intervening for us. If there's any question about what he thinks about his people, ask the apostle Paul who when he set out to persecute God's people was confronted by this living Jesus. Stopped him in his tracks. Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. He's our reigning king, seated at the right hand, completed, reigning, ruling, answering doubts, keeping from temptations to lose faith in what he's done casting away fears. 
God has spoken. And the message that the writer has to write to the Hebrews of his day, Hebrew Christians, the message that we need to hear today is God has spoken, tune your ears to him. Heed what he has to say. Hear and heed, God has spoken. And he is speaking today through his living word. Soften your hearts. The writer of Hebrews needs to repeat what had to be said in the old covenant people. Soften your hearts. Don't harden your hearts. Like the covenant people of God did in the wilderness. And some were destroyed. Like the covenant people did in rebellion. Don't be like them. Don't harden your hearts. Soften your hearts to the voice of God. And submit to his will. Two parts of that to close us out. The first part of submitting to his will is simply to believe. And I trust that that's where you are. Jesus himself says this. The crowds come to him and they ask Jesus, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Whoa, that is quite a phrase. Believe in him whom he has sent. Jesus is saying, believe in the Father. Believe also in me. He's the one that was sent. Believe and wholeheartedly live for him. As we walk through Hebrews together, We'll hear the word read, and we'll hear the word preached. And the prayer is that we'll have ears to hear and hearts to believe and the will to respond accordingly to what we'll hear. May God bless the preaching of his word as we move forward. Let's pray. Almighty God, once again, how thankful we are that you have spoken and that you have given us ears to hear. We've heard the wonderful news of the gospel in hearing what you have said to us, speaking to us so clearly through your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, our faith is in the work that he has done. Our faith is in what you have planned for our salvation. Lord, we know that we would not have that faith if it weren't for your grace and the work of your spirit to open up our ears, to soften our hearts. And now we pray that you would have us hear and receive and willingly follow, seeking to do your will, walking in your ways, all by your grace. Lord, we thank you tonight as we come to you in the name of our Savior Jesus eternal Son of the living God, came here to bear our flesh, was dead, but now lives and reigns and rules forever.